Today's Bible reading comes from John chapter 15, and that's starting at verse 26. So I'll give you a moment to turn to John 15, verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can no longer see me, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to you, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, You will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. You do a really wonderful job of reading. I think it's a gift that God's given you, carrying us through that long passage. That's so helpful. Um, The Christian life is largely a process of waiting. Um, As we navigate through this world of brokenness filled with sin and trouble and difficulty, And as we look ahead at Jesus who's yet to come back and as we wrestle with the stuff within us and the stuff outside of us, we're called to wait Jesus returning and calling us home. We're called to wait everything that he has for us and we just live right now in this like kind of in-between place, this messy in-the-middle place. And the reason I find this so hard is because I am terrible at waiting. I'm awful at it. I mean, I have many flaws and this is one of them. I cannot be patient to save my life. If you came to my house as a child, you would have heard my mum on repeat, Nick, be patient. Nick, be patient. Wisdom for all of us. You start to, um, they say you start to see yourself in your kids. I've got an 18-month-old daughter, Addie, and on the regular, she's up there at the baby gate at the beginning of our house at 5.55 a.m., That's right, AM teenagers. That's when you went to bed, right? And she's just there shaking the gate, holding her beach bucket and spade because she just needs to get outside and get to the beach. She can't wait. And I look at her and I go, that is me to a T. What have I done to this girl, right? I don't know if you feel me on that, but waiting is a tricky thing at the best of times, even if you've been gifted the gift of patience. And it's hard to wait, not just in the vague general sense, but to actually wait in a world that's tricky and difficult in a way that's still lets us put our eyes and our focus all on Jesus and to try and live every corner of our life, even though we're left in this place of waiting. It's really tricky. But I think that's what Jesus is speaking to us today. He's trying to help us wait well. He's trying to help us navigate this moment that we find ourselves in where we don't have him directly with us, that we're not at our destination yet, And that there's still some obstacles to overcome and some difficulties to wrestle with. He's offering us everything that we need. Now, in true John Gospel fashion, it goes round and round in circles. 
And there's layers upon layers. And some of you hate that. Some of you are like, but I love the poetry. It's just so angsty. And that's me. You know, that's me too. I feel you. I guess there's some nods. So you love it or you hate it, but that's the reality of John. So rather than trying to walk through this big wall of text, what I want to do is just hear clearly the big themes of what Jesus is presenting to us and how we can wait upon him as we look ahead to eternity to come. The first thing to say, and I think I got my slides wrong. I'm sorry, Tim. But the first thing to say is that we're, we're thinking about hate from without, and peace in him. Hate from without, but peace in him. I think the the verses that are just like a banner over this whole section, chapter 16, verse 33. If you haven't got your Bible open, you're going to need to do that, so make sure you do that. 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things, these things being this whole section, everything that I've spoken up to this point, so that... In me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this. This is so vintage Jesus. He is brutally honest and tells us exactly what we need to hear. He says, you are living in a place, a world where you are going to face trouble. It's going to be hard. But in true Jesus fashion, as he gives you the blunt truth, he also shows you that he's got far more for you than you're going to have facing you. He's got way more promises and and help to give you than the difficulties that you're going to have to overcome. And so he's brutally honest with us. There is going to be difficulty as you wait for me to return, as you live in this world that's full of mess and difficulty. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I love that. That's worth treasuring. Jesus has already, while we're waiting, overcome the world. I just want to backtrack a little bit from where Sarah read because I think this is a really important section of Scripture that we need to deal with that we didn't get a chance to last week. Um, So jump back with me to 15 verse 18. What does the trouble in the world look like that Jesus is talking about? 16.33, the banner, trouble in the world. What does it look like? Well, verse 18, Jesus immediately starts talking about hate. That's strong. My mom used to say, whenever I would say, I feel like I'm getting a lot of my mum stuff out right now, but anyways, here we are. Whenever I used to say, I hate that, she said, Nick, hatred is a strong word. You know what? It is, and Jesus uses it here. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Immediately, we're presented with this reality as believers that we might experience hatred for our faith. Now, again, John is filled with layers, right? So he's immediately in the upper room speaking with his 12 disciples, 11 disciples, Judas is gone, and he's preparing them for the moment when he's about to leave by dying, right? That's what he's speaking about. And he's trying to prepare them for that moment when he rises, goes back to heaven, and they're left on their own. And so he's saying to them, this is what you're going to experience. You read through the book of Acts, you see it. Persecution, pain, suffering, all directed at them because they hate them because of the name of Jesus. But I think it's an important word for you and I. Just like those disciples had to live without Jesus after he went back to heaven, you and I are here in that same place. And Jesus is saying that if you bear my name, the world might hate you. When you became a Christian or when you grew up in the faith in your family, did you ever think about this? That you were actually signing up to a whole life of opposition and hostility of hatred. It's strong. And yet this is the call of those who would follow Jesus. Because, verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is what it means to be a Christian. For Jesus to see you, specifically you, 
and to reach down and to lift you out of the darkness that is this world and to lift you into his glorious light. And while we're living in this messy place where we're waiting, sometimes we wish that he didn't because it's hard. It's really difficult. But when we truly grasp what Jesus has for us and the life that he promises for all eternity, there is no alternative. There is nothing better, but you need to prepare to be hated. Just a nice light sermon on the lead up to Christmas. We need to learn to be hated. We need to realize that the world in John is this this opposition pitted against God, and we live in that world, but we don't belong to that world. And if you keep reading with me from verse 22, he starts talking about himself, Jesus, because he says, they're not going to hate you because of you. They're going to hate you because of me. And he says, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have known about their sin. They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Why did they hate Jesus? Why did they kill Jesus? Because he stood up before all people and he named exactly what needed to be named. You are broken. This world is broken. You are filled with sin and you need to be rescued. And I'm I'm putting myself out there as the rescuer, but you need to own the fact that you are broken. He just names it. He calls them, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But guess what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He invites them in grace. He invites them in mercy. That is the heart of the gospel. But to get to the grace and mercy requires coming to grips with your profound brokenness. And people don't like to be called broken. The world doesn't like to have its its dark corners pointed out. They don't want the, the hidden motives of their hearts exposed. Because if you and I were to have our life put up on the screen up here, we'd be terrified, right? We don't like to be called out of our sin, and so they killed Jesus. And so that's the call for you and us, you and I. We are the people of Jesus who bear his name and who are called to that same ministry of standing up. Maybe not, you know, some of you are terrified of public speaking. I'm not calling you to be a preacher, but, but to actually put yourself on the line to call people out of their sin into the life of Jesus. That's what it means to bear the name of Jesus, and that's when the world turns and hates them. Now, I've been doing some thinking because as I reflect on my experience of being a Christian here in Sydney on the North Shore, and as I think about the people that I get to do life with here at church, I'm not sure if this is us. Like, I don't know, as you think about your life, feel free to tell me afterwards if I'm wrong, but I don't know if you would describe your experience of living in Sydney as experiencing hatred from the world, where at every corner there's someone lurking to persecute you and kill you. Right? Like, I don't know that we as Christians here necessarily have that experience. And I've been trying to wrestle with that. Like, why, why aren't we, why doesn't this resonate? Why doesn't this just kind of like hit us like it would have hit the disciples? They were signing up to be killed for their faith, right? And we, why don't we feel that? Well, in, in parts of the world, there, there are believers who, when they become Christians, they are signing up to die. If, if you become a Christian in Iran, you are potentially being cut off from your entire family and signing up to constantly look over your shoulder that the authorities might kill you. In China, to become a Christian, you become a Christian in secret because the secret police are are everywhere looking for people who are trying to spread this gospel. Like, this is a reality that exists in our world today, but why don't we experience it here? Well, the the first thing that jumped out as I read the passage was the first word in verse 18, look, 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 if the world hates you, if the world hates you. That's kind of like a conditional. It's an option. It, It might happen. So perhaps what we're talking about here is, you know, Jesus is not speaking about like a promised certainty, but a likely reality. 
that there are going to be moments and places where this occurs, where if you stand for Jesus, there's going to be hatred. It's not going to be everybody. It's not going to be at all times. Maybe there's ebbs and flows to this. And as I think about that, it, it kind of makes sense. To be a Christian in Sydney 40, 50 years ago, you were thought of as a wonderfully moral, good person. Kind of boring. You like the rules a little bit too much, but we, we could see the good. Today, to be a Christian, it's more likely that you'll be thought of as a bigoted person who's living in a backward way. And I, I just, you know, this is totally anecdotal, but I, I'm curious to see what the climate is in, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I think the hostility temperature might be rising. It may, may or may not. The word if there makes me think Jesus is in control. Who knows what's going to happen? I think that could be it. But I don't, I don't want us to use that as a cop-out because if we look at the text closely, why are people hated? They're hated because they testify to Jesus. And I've got to ask you, just as I'm asking myself, are we bearing the name of Jesus faithfully? Like if we're truly honest that as Christians, is the reason we're not experiencing hate because it's a nice place to live in Sydney or is it because we're not actually putting ourselves on the line? Because we're not actually stepping into a faithful witness for Jesus. Because we're unwilling to step out of our comfort to say something that might offend our friends or our family. Is, is that the reason, perhaps, that we aren't experiencing this passage that doesn't resonate with us? Because we've just slowly fallen into a lukewarm faith that, we, yes, we believe in Jesus. Yes, we want to do good and we want to love people. But when it comes to confronting people with the sin in their life and pointing them to the Savior Jesus, that sounds a little too hard and we, we pull back. I fear that might be some of us. I know for myself, I do this for a living. I speak and preach the gospel and I still shrink back at moments when I'm with my friends and family who don't know Jesus. I think it's so important that we own this. And it's not a condemnation. Jesus is here offering grace and mercy in every page. But a faithful Christian life waiting for heaven to come is one where we speak of Jesus in the quiet conversations, in the lounge room with a group of people. Maybe God's gifted you to stand up and speak it. I don't know. But I think that's what it looks like. I put it like this, to become a Christian in a persecuted country requires you to be baptized into persecution. That's, that's what you've been brought into. As you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to persecution. And so you only become a Christian when you've been thoroughly gripped by the Spirit, when you've decided, I am in for Jesus, and you throw it all away and you just go for him. That's what you sign up for. It's like standing in the, you know, the beginning of the surf at the beach, where you just look face on to the waves that are coming and crashing at you. You know where they are. You know where you are. You stick your feet down and you stand firm. That's the picture of what it looks like to be a Christian in these countries. But for us, I think it's different. I think we're standing in a part of the beach where the water is actually quite calm on the surface, where you look, it's beautiful. It's Balmoral. It's so nice. You know, the crystal blue water, the boathouse is there. I've got a coffee in hand. But underneath the surface of this beautiful shallow water is this calm water is actually these relentless currents that are just slowly shifting the placement of your feet until you actually look around and it turns out you've moved 10 meters. We have these, these underlying currents in our culture that are not broadcasted and challenging you, but they're slowly taking their, their way with you. These, these currents of materialism that are constantly barraging you with this sense that you need more, that you need more, that you need more, that you need a bigger house, that you need a better career, that you need to build a nice life. And it's that that slowly saps away our, our resolve to stand firm for Christ 
because we stop living for him and in his peace and for his joy, and we actually start to look more and more like the world. But it's, it's quiet. It's slow. It takes its toll. We need to be willing to take a step back, to stand firm, to root our feet in Jesus, and to give it all away for him. It's a hard call. It's a difficult call, but it's the one that he's calling. We need to actively put aside the peace of the, the comfortable Australian dream. You know, the millennials in the room are thinking, well, I was never going to own property anyway, but you need to put aside that dream, right? And instead, what did Jesus say in, in 1633, the banner verse? He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Put aside any desire to find peace in this world, in something that you can do for yourself, and just put your hands up and find your peace in him. As you just come to Jesus, he says, he draws you in. You're talked about as part of the body of Christ. You become one with Jesus. Next week, we're going to see him pray about like an intimate union with him. When you truly give yourself to Jesus, there is a peace that this world wishes it had. Let's stop living for something subpar. Let's stop letting those, those quiet, relentless currents take their way with us. So here's my question. Will you testify for Jesus, even though it's hard? Will you speak the truth, even though it's difficult? You can do it because the promises of Jesus are greater than the power of this world. Yeah, you'll have trouble in the world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what we, we lean on. That's what we rely upon. Jesus has already overcome the world. So we might experience some hate from without, but there is peace in him. There's peace in him. Come and find the peace in him. Put aside any false gospel that this world wants to give you. So we move from, from hatred, nice little light topic, and we start to talk about grief. Well, I, just, I feel like you know, I should be preaching this nice, light you know, Christmas sermon, but actually this is the word that we need to hear, and there's beauty in it. So we're talking about grief and joy. Um, the language that I've kind of got here for you is that we, we experience grief from within that's overcome by joy unspeakable. We experience grief from within that's overcome by joy unspeakable. Um, Jesus just goes for the clearest, most vivid metaphor that he can possibly come up with. Check with me, verse 21 of chapter 16. He goes to childbirth. Everyone knows what childbirth is, except for those four-year-olds that have been lied to and they think that the stork brings babies. You know, Everyone gets this, right? It's a very common picture in the world because no human comes about apart from childbirth. And so he says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born... She forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The mums in the room are like, oh yeah, I get that. The dads are in the room are like, oh yeah, I get that. Everyone in the room who did year six sex education is like, yeah, I saw that video. I know how this goes, right? It makes sense. It's one of the, if not the, most painful experiences that a human can go through. And yet, how many humans are on the planet? Seven plus billion. People endure it because there is an unspeakable joy on the other side. It's productive pain. 
as Beck tells me every single time she gets annoyed with her pregnancy. <laughs> I'm doing this for a reason. There's a reason behind the pain. And Jesus is saying, yes, you are experiencing grief right now. I'm about to leave. I'm about to die. You gave your whole life away to follow me. You have nothing to go back to and I'm going to disappear. You're going to be weeping while the world is just try- crying out in triumph and rejoicing. We killed Jesus. We did it. And yet, your grief will turn to joy. And Jesus comes back to life and the disciples see Jesus. And you can, can you just imagine what that would have been like? You've lost everything. We're not just talking about your leader that you were following. You lost your livelihood. You lost, you lost your purpose in life. You lost your religion. You lost everything that meant anything to you. And then that day comes where Mary knocks on the door and she says, come, come, Jesus is alive. And Peter just goes, brah, that did not happen, Right? And then eventually they actually get to see Jesus. And can you just imagine the way that that has just been completely flipped, that their grief and pain has been changed into this joy that they can't speak about? When I first held Addie in my arms, my little girl, 18 months old, I think it's the most, most enjoyable day of my life. But I don't have words to, to describe it to you. You'd have to be there. That's what we're talking about here, a joy that you just can't even put it into words how beautiful it is. And that is what Jesus is offering us. He's saying, yes, this place of waiting that you find yourself in is really hard, like really hard. He gets it, but there's joy to be had. And it's a joy that like everyone in the world hopes for and longs for. Everybody wants what Jesus is offering. And and most of us just try and make it for ourselves. And and let's be honest, you can have a pretty happy and pleasurable life without Jesus. I think it's really important that we name this. You can get a really nice McMansion in Mossman and retire at 38 and have a beautiful family and go down to the beach every day and drink nice coffee and you can have a really good time. We need to own the fact that there is something to this world that we live in, but... It's fleeting. It's temporary. One day you'll die, and it's all going to be taken from you. That sounds really bleak, but it's true. It's true. Even the greatest life that you could forge for yourself is at best a breath of air compared to the eternity that Christ is talking about here. And if I'm being honest as well, apart from that moment where I held Addie in my hands, the only other moments of unspeakable joy I can speak to are those moments where I've stood in the presence of God and experienced him in all his fullness because the joy of Jesus is greater than any joy that this world could ever offer. We need to recognize that we are in the place of the disciples. They're longing for Jesus to return and they're feeling the weight of it, but Jesus promises them joy. He said in verse 22, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice And this is important. No one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. It's so important that you see what Jesus is saying here. He's speaking to them about this little moment where Jesus dies and Jesus rises again. So when they see Jesus again, that's when they're filled with joy, three days later. And that's the joy that no one can take away from them. I don't know if you're following me here. I'm not saying, hey, Don't follow the way of the world because one day you'll die and heaven will be awesome. You'll swim in milkshake fountains and you'll bounce in cloud jumping castles and it'll be awesome. Like hopefully that's a thing and I'll meet you at the milkshake fountain. But I'm talking about something way better than this. I'm talking about a joy that Jesus is offering you right here and right now. Because yes, you you don't see Jesus face to face physically. But Jesus said to these disciples, I'm going to leave you and there's a joy that I'm going to leave with you that no one will take away. 
Yes, that joy is going to be made perfect when you stand in heaven. But right now, that's a joy that he offers you day by day. And it's a joy that no one can take away. Every joy that you can find in this world that's good, someone's going to take it away. And if no one takes it away, the world will fall away. But Jesus is saying to you, you can have a joy. And I think that the joy on offer here is the joy of an intimate, personal, close relationship with God. You might think, I'd prefer the milkshake fountains. Well, you're wrong. Because you were made by God, and you were made for God. And as you draw closer to Him, and you, you are ushered into His presence, that is where you realize, this is who I am. This is what I was made for. Throughout this whole passage, which we haven't had time to really dig into because we did a few weeks ago, Jesus just keeps scattering in this teaching about the Holy Spirit. The comfort that He offers this entire section is, I'm leaving, but I'm not actually leaving you alone. I will still be with you by the Spirit. And I think that's why we can say our joy will never be taken away. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. The joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus is ours to be had in the Spirit. The question is, are we being filled with the Spirit and and being close with God and allowing Him to fill us with joy and peace? Or are we chasing after the joy of this world Sure, still believing in Jesus, still trying to practice good morals, but really actually trying to forge it all for ourselves. It's when you come and be with God that he fills you with the Spirit and you experience the fruit of the Spirit. There are moments of spiritual dryness. There are difficult places where God feels far away. But the the resounding word of Scripture is that if you are with God, he will fill you and you can take this world because he has already overcome the world. And so if there's anything that you heard tonight, hear this, just be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Don't don't make a great Bible reading plan that you're going to tick some boxes off. Um, You need the Bible. Don't come up with a prayer list of things you're going to pray through. You need to pray for people. Be with Jesus. Spend time in the presence of God it's, it's where he fills you in that space, and not just by yourself, but here at church. This is a moment of that as well, being with Jesus. It's in that space that all of this comes to life, because Jesus is saying, I'm with you by the Spirit, but we often close our eyes to him. Be with Jesus, be with Jesus, be with Jesus. There's so much more that we could talk to, but I'm just going to leave it there. Um, Jesus has left, but the Spirit's here. The Spirit's powerful. He will carry us forward. You will experience hatred from the world at times, even if you're not now, if you're willing to stand firm for Jesus. But there is peace that just transcends all understanding on offer to you. There is grief and pain that you'll experience as you sit back and you feel like God's just nowhere to be found. But when you come to Jesus, you find a joy that no one can take away from you. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is with you. The Spirit is powerful. Just read through church history. Just look at what God is doing in this world right now. He testifies to Jesus. He convicts the world of sin. He's present and leading people into faithfulness in Jesus all over the world. You sit here right now because the Spirit is real. So trust in the promises of God. Trust in the promises of God. Wait faithfully. Bear His name. Drink deeply from His joy. Know His peace because the Spirit's with you. Let me pray. Let me just give this time to the Lord. God Almighty, you are the one who made us for yourself, and we find our soul's satisfaction and all of our heart's longings when we return to you. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you came into this world to reach down and to pluck us out of its grasp so that we now belong to you and not to this place. Jesus, thank you that despite all that we face, you offer a peace that can't be taken away from us. Please, would you convict us of those places where we're finding peace in this world and not in you? Jesus, we thank you so much that you offer us a joy that no one can take away. And we just ask that you would quietly speak to us by your spirit now to how we, we need to be with you more and, and how we need to, to find that joy in you alone. We ask, God, for your glory and for your sake that you would give us courage and boldness to step into those moments that you give us to speak. Would you help us to, to speak about who Jesus is to us, even if it means we're going to be laughed at or, or, or receive some opposition? We just want to be faithful to you in this place of waiting, Jesus. So we ask all of this for your name's sake, for your glory, and for our good. Amen.